You are listening to a podcast from The National. At around 2am on July 4th, the Panamanian-flagged Iranian tanker Grace 1 was boarded by British Royal Marines off the coast of Gibraltar at the mouth of the Mediterranean. The Marines from the 42nd Command Division stormed the vessel. Some descended onto the ship's decks by rope from a Wildcat helicopter, the rest approached the side of the vessel by speedboat. The Marines ordered the supertanker, loaded with 2.1 million barrels of light crude oil, to dock in the British Overseas Territory. Authorities stopped the ship on the grounds that they believed it was headed to Syria, in contravention of European sanctions on the regime of Bashar al-Assad. More than eight years into the conflict, it's the first known Iranian vessel to be stopped making such a shipment. This is despite significant evidence that Iran makes regular shipments of oil and gas to the war-ravaged country in support of their ally. Iran has vowed revenge for the move. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, James Haynes-Young, and this week we're looking at the seized ship accused of dodging Syria sanctions. British Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt has said the move to stop the Grace One had nothing to do with ongoing tensions between Tehran and Washington, who has placed crippling sanctions on the Islamic Republic and wants to bring its oil exports to zero. But the move comes at a particularly tense moment. While the UK maintains it's a separate issue, the Iranian support for Syria and its attempt to circumvent US sanctions are linked. The methods that Tehran employs in both cases are very similar. This week, we'll be speaking to Samia Madani, a co-founder at the shipping monitoring website TankerTracker.com, who spends his days monitoring the world's oil supplies as it travels around the globe on ships and has monitored many attempts to hide the origin and destination of the export. We'll also speak to Robin Mills, a UAE-based oil specialist and founder of Kamai Energy, to talk about how the Iranian exports have been impacted by US sanctions. For nearly a year, the US has brought all its significant economic clout to bear on ending Iranian oil exports. Although countries around the world have criticised the Trump administration's move, almost all have complied. The threat of being fined and locked out of the US financial systems is just too great to risk. One by one, Iran's oil buyers have gone elsewhere. Almost all, but a bit more on that later. In response, Iran has kick-started its long-tried-and-tested resistance economy. The country has been pretty much under some form of US sanction ever since the revolution in 1979, as such, they have a long history of operating in the shadows with plausible deniability. Reports suggest that hundreds of barrels a day are loaded onto trucks and motorbikes and spirited across the borders into Afghanistan and Iraq, where it's then sold on and on and on until the origins are lost. But at sea, it can be a little bit more complicated to move a large amount of oil a very long way. The conventional way of tracking tankers, if we call it modern conventional, is to use AIS-based uh, technology. So aboard every vessel, you have an automatic identification uh, system, or AIS transponder. And this uh, transponder will broadcast to the open public as to uh, what the vessel is in terms of ID, uh, where it is heading, the, the speed it's moving at, uh, what kind of depth the vessel has in the water in order for us to determine how many barrels of, say, crude oil are aboard. That's Samir Madani of TankerTracker.com. The AIS system was designed to help stop collisions in ports or on the high seas. When everyone in the area knows what type of ships are around them, where they're headed and at what speed, they can adjust their course accordingly. In recent days, a UAE-based tanker appears to have gone missing in the Gulf. 
The Panama-flagged Rhea stopped transmitting location information late on Saturday night as it drifted into Iranian waters. As of Wednesday, there's been no known contact with the vessel or its crew. A US defence official says that they are worried it may have been seized by Iran. On Wednesday, Iranian media quoted officials as saying that they were assisting a vessel with repairs. But that doesn't explain why the tanker went dark, or why the crew doesn't appear to have made contact with the ship's owners. An Emirati official told The National that the vessel didn't emit a distress signal before it went missing, and it's neither owned nor operated from the UAE. The case highlights one of the key aspects of an AIS. When it's switched on, other ships can come to your assistance if you're in trouble. When it goes dark, a ship can be lost. But what if someone doesn't want to be seen by those around them? It's simple. They just shut the AIS down. We spoke to a retired British Merchant Navy tanker captain with years of experience of operating in the Gulf region. He didn't want to be identified, but he said there were very few legitimate reasons to shut down an AIS. Asked if he could see a legitimate reason to do so in the Arabian Gulf, and he said no. The sanctions were announced already May of 2018, and it was before the, the waiver program took effect in November. It's always been the case that they had the shipments, for instance, to Syria. Those ones were, they were switching off their AIS transponder uh, just between the um, north side of the Suez Canal and Syria itself. So in the East Mediterranean, it was just switched off. And that was normal. That's something we've been doing for the past couple of years. We've been tracking it that way. But then when we realized that during summer of last year, remember it was something around uh, June, July. No, it was even May. We were switching off the transponders just before coming into Iran to pick up the oil. So they would switch it off somewhere in the Strait of Hormuz, for instance. We noticed that, and then all of a sudden, uh, throughout the summer, we started noticing more and more uh, of this kind of activity. And then it became uh, quite the rule by, uh, say, September, October. One of the reasons that Samia and his team run tanker trackers is to give investors and markets more precise data and ways of checking officially published figures on oil production. Before the sanctions, Iran exported around 2 million barrels of oil a day. When they came in, that dropped to just under 500,000. Now it's rising again as Iran's resistance economy kicks in. By September and October 2018, Samia and his team recorded Iranian export figures twice as high as the more traditionally counted data coming from the likes of Reuters news agency. So how do you track a tanker when it turns off its AIS? To fill that gap, we use day-fresh satellite imagery, analyze the images and identify the vessel. We take it from there. We, we see what the vessel has picked up, potentially how much it has picked up based on the loading times and the vessel depth. And uh, then from there, we, we track and see where it potentially might go. When we look at the, an image of a vessel, we compare uh, its day-to-day activity. When we study the images, uh, they're taken exactly 24 hours apart. And uh, what we do is if the, if the vessel, for instance, is still sitting in the same spot, we look at the depth of its shadow and we can determine from there if it's added on or removed uh, cargo. And over a 24-hour period, uh, a vessel can discharge, for instance, uh, one to two million barrels. And we can see that in, in, the, in the depth of the shadow because the vessel will float up if it's empty or submerge um, its hull by, say, another 10 meters into the water if it's fully laden. So these are the things we look at when we don't have access to any AIS data. But what's the benefit of switching off your AIS? Here's Robin Mills of Kama Energy. Yeah, so Iran has been under some form of sanctions, or oil-related sanctions, ever since the Iranian Revolution in 79. 
and of course they had a kind of trial run for the current period with the sanctions under President Obama. So they've had a lot of experience in, in selling oil under various kinds of constraints. Now, I think you can, I personally don't tend to use the terminology of smuggling because the Iranians would maintain that these are unilateral US sanctions, they're not enshrined in any kind of international law. But nevertheless, the Iranians, of course, have to try to disguise the origin and of their cargoes and and or the destination to protect the the buyers who, who potentially then would come to US sanctions. And they do this in a number of ways, so ships conceal their uh, their destination or they give a false destination ships turn off their transponders which are supposed to be broadcasting their position so a ship may sail into the gulf it may give its destination as basra say in in iraq um, which is of course an oil loading port very very close to iran the ship then turns off its transponder disappears for a, for a day or so uh, reappears again outside iranian waters with a full cargo and then who, who's to say that it, it didn't just load in in iraq or, or somewhere else now, of course, if the ship's watched very carefully, observed by satellite, this can be detected. But it's a bit of a, uh, but it is a bit of a detective job to, to piece this together. Ships can then transfer oil on the high seas to another another vessel, which then then sails off and apparently entirely innocently and uh, and unloads somewhere else. So simply, with the trackers off, you can try and hide where the oil came from or load it onto another vessel. But why go through all the trouble just to buy Iranian oil when other states are selling it legally? One factor, says Samir, is the cost. Right now, Iranian oil is cheap. If you operate in a country that doesn't care too much where the oil came from, then why not try and save some money? It would be cheap because the waivers have ended and Iran is trying to get as much out there. I mean, they've stated themselves that they're not going to stop trying. They're going to push as much crude and refined product as possible. Now, in regards to um, where things are going, I mean, we can still see shipments heading off to, to China in fairly large numbers. So the AIS transponder eventually switches on in places like Strait of Malacca. There you have to have your transponder on when you when you sail through uh, Singapore. And also in the Suez Canal, you have to have your transponder on. It's all the stuff that they do between these two waterways. There's a big question mark as to some of the uh, destinations. I don't think anyone in Europe, any of the big players, the tier one operators, oil, oil companies are going to consider taking in uh, Iranian oil. But there are a lot of uh, refineries who might uh, take in some uh, product, just small amounts, you know, thinking they can get away with it. But with the advancement of today's technology compared with, say, five years ago, uh, it's it's too risky. It's far too risky. Robin says that China is a possible destination for Iranian oil still, at least unofficially. Oil is being delivered by the Iranians to bonded storage in China. So it's it's put into a into a storage facility where it hasn't officially been imported into China yet. And, and then at some point that, that oil can then be bought by, by Chinese buyers. And of course, that's, that's going through pipes in the, in the Chinese storage system where it's impossible to, to observe and say where it went or, or who bought it. Um, and, and of course, then there's the issue of the financial transactions and, 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 uh, and how do companies actually pay for this, this oil. Um, and that's, that's again, you know, the subject of various uh, forms of, of disguise. But of course, the US is, uh, is trying to monitor all of these these subterfuges and um, and threaten companies who are still buying Iranian oil. And the Europeans have, have basically ceased buying entirely. Japan, South Korea uh, have also ceased entirely. And it's become very, very difficult for Turkey and, and India, who were the other two main customers, to continue. That really leaves us with China. Um, 
China is pretty much the only remaining buyer of, of Iranian oil at, at the moment. So what does all this have to do with the Grace One and Syria? Well, Iran has used this template for all of its Syria shipments. Grace One, we actually tracked all the way since back since uh, end of November last year when she uh, first popped up on our radar as entering Iranian waters. So we, we actually had imagery of her uh, during her period in, in Iran uh, when it was actually showing that it was coming from, uh, I believe, Umm Qasr Anchorage in Iraq. And it was uh, had switched off its CIS transponder for at least a week. I think it was close to two weeks. And just reappeared uh, sailing south to Asaluya in, in Iran. What we did see was that it did a ship-to-ship transfer. It had received uh, fuel oil from another supertanker, same size. Reuters actually wrote an article on this saying that the documentation from Iraq was forged. And that this was uh, most likely Iranian content. Then it went to the UAE to do ship-to-ship transfers with smaller vessels. And so uh, we tracked her for a while, and then she went to pick up another load. And we didn't have any imagery at the time, but we could see that she had something that uh, very much spoke to us as uh, being fuel oil, two million barrels of it. This vessel then went all the way around Africa. Samia said that while she could have gone through the much faster Suez Canal route, as he believes many other Iranian shipments to Syria have done, she took the more circuitous route around Africa. A vessel as heavy as Grace One is, if she was to use a Suez Canal, they would have to offload around half a million to a million barrels via the Suez Mediterranean pipeline. You take two million barrels, you offload a million, and then you meet up on the other side and you pick it up. Pick it up. Now, so she went all the way around Africa, and that also saves around a million dollars or so in, in this offloading. And uh, it didn't seem like there was much of a rush for this vessel. We tracked and tracked and tracked. And at the same time, she had changed her broadcast destination to, I think it says some, some like uh, armed guards initially, and then it said Medite, which is short for Mediterranean. So we had a good understanding that this vessel was most likely heading towards the Syrian waters. We did not believe it was actually for Syria itself because um, Iran has no issue using the Suez Canal for its Suez Max vessels. As I told you, they were delivering three a month. They could easily just just use that route, and with their own flags as well, Iranian flags. So those vessels won't uh, get stopped. But in the case of uh, Grace One, she's, carrying a, uh, she's waving a Panamanian flag. We were watching her all the way up the strait between uh, um, Europe and, and Morocco, and we saw she entered in, and then suddenly she made a left turn towards uh, Gibraltar. So we were a bit puzzled by, by that and didn't think anything of it really very late at night, and we thought maybe she's just going in there to fuel up, pick up some supplies. But then we saw in the news that uh, she was boarded by um, Royal UK Marines. Sami and his team thought that the different behaviour that the Grace One exhibited to other Iranian ships heading to Syria meant it was more likely planning to sail to Syrian waters than transfer its load to other ships to be sold elsewhere. But Iran supports Syria with oil, just to keep the lights on. After years of grinding conflict, much of the country's infrastructure is shattered, and oil fields are outside of government control. The, the oil is being provided by Iran to Syria as a, as a form of aid in kind for the, the Assad regime, um, not, not as a commercial transaction. Um, but yes, the Iranian oil has been, has been provided at, at various points and, and other petroleum products. But, uh, but that, that, as I say, isn't a commercial transaction. It doesn't likely bring in many or, or any revenues back to Iran. For now, the Grace One remains moored in Gibraltar. It's unclear what's going to happen next. The UK said it might be able to let the ship go if they get the assurances they need that it won't head to Syria. 
but it also causes a possible problem for Iran. There's not many places that would accept one of the most eagerly watched tankers in the world right now as it transports millions of dollars of sanctioned oil. But will they just accept taking it all the way home if it's let go? Again, we'll have to wait and see. The other lingering question is what the move by the UK will mean for future Iranian shipments to Syria. Will there be more scrutiny? Will Iran try and send ships through the Gibraltar route again? On that, only time will tell. But for the wider issue of Iran's resistance economy and its attempts to surreptitiously sell oil overseas, that's likely to continue as American sanctions begin to bite. Within the course of a year, of course, that's still a limited amount of time for these sanctions to have a significant impact on the economy. Uh, nevertheless, the Iranian economy is shrinking. Inflation spiked very significantly, over 50%. It's now probably fallen back to a degree. Unemployment has risen. There are shortages of various basic supplies in, in Iran. And obviously, the cost of doing business for Iran has, has risen very significantly. And the Iranian economy is not as dependent on oil exports as, as some other countries in the region. Oil, even at the low point of sanctions, oil is accounting for about 15% of GDP. So these sanctions are still having a very, uh, a very significant negative impact. It's, uh, the situation is nothing like as bad, at least yet, as, say, Venezuela. Thanks this week to my guests, Robin Mills and Samia Madani. This was Beyond the Headlines. Subscribe by tapping the button in your podcast app. We were produced this week by Aisha Khan with assistance from Hannah Finity. I've been your host, James Haynes-Young.